It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is Red Sox Beat on CLNS Radio. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started Travis Shaw on opening day, and I'd be totally cool with it. Because I think it would, it, it, if that doesn't give Sandoval motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter that first unanimous vote, and I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievement or a new milestone. They're not just be like, hey, we, we signed this player, so we're going to have a ceremony. Like, no, no. Like Now... To your hosts. And Red Sox fans, this is Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Radio recording on the Memorial Day weekend um, here on Red Sox Beat. So welcome in for that. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Red Sox Beat Podcast, on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat, uh, Tumblr, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And of course, this show is brought to you by our new friends at Loot Crate. The onslaught of big summer blockbusters makes May the perfect time to celebrate some of the pop culture's unstoppable, unrelenting, and unbeatable characters and objects. We've got something you can carry, something for your kitchen, and cool figure to go with your monthly teen pin featuring two Marvel Thames plus Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z. No one crate should have all this power. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com backslash CLNS and enter the code CLNS to save $3 on any new subscription. Uh, Jess and myself this week know Lauren. Um, Jess, uh, what's going on? Not too much. It's kind of funny at this point. You've, you've become the constant in the recent couple of months. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. It's great. For a while that was me, and now I missed a couple of shows. Lauren's missed a couple of shows. You've been the one who's been here every week, which is great, because just mm. only records it, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I have the technology, so... And if we have guests, then it really needs to be, you really need to be here. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you uh, you being here recently. I'm, 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 I, I appreciate I can be in charge and, and do this. I'm glad I can be here. Um, so look, Red Sox didn't have a great week, Jess. Um, I know we kind of all predicted a little bit better than what happened. Um, Especially it started so good, well. Yeah, it, it looked pretty well. But I, right now, I guess, Jess, we can just kind of run down, give us a recap this week and kind of touch base on what happened this past week. Yeah, it started with the uh, well, started with a Monday off day, and then then uh, then the Rockies on Tuesday, which you and Lauren thought would be a sweep. I picked two out of three. Take give myself some credit; I was right in that series, so I felt good about that. Uh, yeah. But it it could have been a sweep, especially when you look at the first two games. Uh, first one was on Tuesday. David Price was starting, and uh, he pitched really well. This 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 uh, change of delivery. Pitched seven innings, gave up five hits and three runs, which was plenty, plenty enough for this offense against a, a pretty crappy Colorado uh, pitching staff in general. 
Um, yeah, the Red Sox got right right going, right on track, right at the beginning. Uh, two runs in the first, two runs in the second. Three in the fourth, uh, David Ortiz got the two RBI in the first inning of that. And then uh, Christian Vasquez hit a rare triple, RBI triple in the second. Love that. Love my boy, hustling around the bases. Yeah, he's definitely definitely picking it up with the stick a little bit here. Um, and then Betts hit a sack fly, and it was 4-1 after two. It's 4-2 after three. After the uh, third, Charlie Blackman did a home run for Colorado. But then David Ortiz was back up to his tricks with another two-RBI hit, double this time in the fourth. <laughs> Chris Young with a two-RBI single, and all of a sudden, four innings in, 7-2. That would be all the uh, – mostly all the Sox would need. They got one more run um, in the eighth inning to make it 8-3. Um, but really solid offensive attack. Ortiz with four RBI, continuing his tear. Dustin Pedroia with three hits. Xander Bogarts with two more, two also for uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. So that was a fun, fun game. Eight, eight runs on 12 hits, uh, knocked Jorge De La Rosa around the park, which they should have because the ERA was 10-18 coming into the game, and they they bumped it up to 11-41. So he's just terrible in price. Like I said, five hits, three runs, six strikeouts, and seven innings. That was just a good game, good offense, good pitching. Yeah, and I think that. Um... With David Price, I look at the seven innings pitched and three runs. Um, I think I'm okay with that. Obviously, I wish it would be a little better, but I don't think I think the people people don't also realize the Rockies' offense isn't terrible. Um, it's just they're not always consistent. So I don't mind the, the, the three runs, but I obviously wish it was a little better. Um, but obviously, no complaints. You win eight three. I don't think there's much to complain about. Absolutely, and it's since ended, but Jackie Bradley Jr. extended his hitting streak at that point to 28 games in that game, which is incredible. Um, which brought us into Wednesday, where Jackie Bradley Jr. extended his inning streak to 29 games. <laughs> uh, this is a 10-3 win, so if you thought the 8-3 win was nice, uh, this was two runs more nice. Uh, the Sox upped their record at 29-17 and 17 at that point. And I believe at that point we had a four-game winning streak? Or was it five? I think it was four, but I could be completely wrong. So Yeah, two against the Rockies. Two against the Indians. Yep, it was four, so... Yeah, four-game winning streak at that point, which is great. Um, this game was quite the opposite of Tuesday's game. The offense came in the middle of the game rather than the beginning. The uh, Rockies actually took a 2 nothing lead in the first three-and-a-half innings uh, against Stephen Wright, who started off just slightly slow, really picked it up afterwards, and Chad Bettis, Colorado star, started off really well. And then second time through the, through the order, something different happened uh, big time. Started off with a Xander Bogarts home run to extend his hitting streak at that point. We'll get to that. Um, he hit a home run to make it 2-1, to one, and then Travis Shaw hit an RBI single to make it 2-2. Two, two. And then Blake Swihart hit his first of two triples in this game, um, two RBI triple to make it 4-2. And all of a sudden that 2 nothing lead was gone in an instant. And then one inning later in the fifth inning, Jackie Bradley Jr. hit an RBI fielder's choice to make a 5-2, and Travis Shaw blasted an R- two-RBI double at the center field, and all of a sudden it was 7-2 after five, basically just like the game before. Uh, Bettis just completely fell apart. Sox offense just picked him apart. Tons of hits. They were all over him. Um, Boston would get three more runs in the eighth. Bet's RBI single, and guess who? David Ortiz, two-RBI double. <laughs> Again, this guy is on another planet. It's unbelievable. And that made it uh, 10-3. Stephen Wright, seven innings pitched, seven hits, three runs, two earned, two walks, seven Ks. Uh, the greatest thing about Stephen Wright is even if he doesn't have, completely have his game on, which, you know, seven hits, seven strikeouts is great, but he gets deep in the game. Seven innings again, he's pitched complete game, eight-inning game. This guy is 
very consistent getting really deep into the games, which obviously is always great for a uh, bullpen. Yeah, and still, like, I don't think it's really surprising more than he's pitching well because he's done so much, but coming from the beginning of the year where we just thought he'd be a fill-in until Erod came back, it's huge seeing him pitch this well still and consistently that we're going to be able to rely on him throughout the, uh, hopefully, the rest of the season. Um, and also, big in note in this game, too, with Swihart with the two big hits, just slowly increasing his trade value. Yeah, and obviously at this point it makes the most sense because now that he's transferred to the outfield, it's like he's more of a regular player that people will be like, well, this guy's a good hitter and he can play multiple positions. Team might need him more than we need him. I'm happy to take his his hitting right now, and he's played really well in left field, um, like most major leaguers would, not named Hanley Ramirez. Because <laughs> usually you go to left and you're like, all right, I'm going to work hard and play well. And he's done that. He worked hard. He plays it well. He's a major leaguer. He can play He can play in the field. So it's good. But like you said, definitely raising his – is a trade value. Back to Stephen Wright, though, just looking at his, uh, his his game log for the season, he had one game against Houston where he gave up four and a third. That was three. Uh, he pitched four and a third, gave up five runs. That was three starts ago. Other than that start, he's pitched six or more innings in every start, including, like I said, complete game once, eight innings, seven innings twice, and two six and two thirds innings. It's it's huge. Is this guy? He's getting a lot of strikeouts. He gets six to seven strikeouts pretty much every game, and most importantly. Not his record, which is four and four, but his ERA is two fifty two. Yeah, see, that's crazy to me. The fact that he, the le- the length of time he's being so consistent, giving you innings. And for me, I look at every, and this is kind of awesome too, because I look at this and go, okay, everyone who complains about Wade Miley not being here, Stephen Wright is the one giving you your innings. He's the one who, what Wade Miley was last year in this rotation, giving you innings and being able to come in here and just throw the ball consistently and every five days, you know, some guy's going to go six innings. So I love that he's this consistent. And I think that moving forward, he's going to have to be this consistent again for your team to keep succeeding. Yeah. And he's obviously going to stay in the rotation. Two months is a fantastic sample size and he's going nowhere because you can't take your guy with the best ERA out of your rotation. That's just idiotic. So I wouldn't push anything past John Farrell. Nah. Just saying. No, no, he cannot do that. He wouldn't live to see another day, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's great, too, because it's just like Tim Wakefield. It's a consistent, steady guy with the knuckleball, same thing. The guys who throw, throw seller pitches, they're less noticeable because they're throwing you know, 70, 60, 70 miles per hour. <laughs> so they, people just don't really notice them, and they just go about their work, and they do their thing, and they pitch well. It's it's really He's really turning into a Wakefield-like player, at least this, this year so far, which is definitely fun. Um, offense in this game, just to go over it. Two hits for Swihart, two hits for Shaw, and three RBI. Two hits for Jackie Bradley Jr., two RBI for Ortiz. Marco Hernandez came in the game later on, and he went two for two. So, ton more hits, 13 hits, 10 runs. Let the onslaught continue of runs in the first two. <laughs> so, like I said before, great start to the week. 18 runs yeah, in two those, games. And those two games made me and Lauren believe our prediction was definitely going to come true. Because we, we both predicted the sweep of the Rockies, and there was no reason going into Thursday's game thinking that we were going to be wrong in that case. No, not at all. It was totally lined up for a sweep. We were playing so well. And facing a guy in John Gray for Colorado that had a 675 ERA. It's like, well, jeez. Exactly. <laughs> why yep. why are we going to feast on him, too, and get 10 runs again? You know? But yeah, yeah, exactly. didn't work out so well. He pitched great. Gray pitched seven and a third, only gave up two runs and six strikeouts. Unlike the rest of pretty much every starter this season on every team that we figured out <laughs> at least one rotation through the, the lineup, this guy, for some reason, just couldn't figure him out. He just had, a, had his game going on, and he just kept rolling. And 
the Sox couldn't do anything, and they didn't get a lot of work against Colorado's bullpen because Gray went so deep into the game. And unfortunately, this is the Clay Blackwell's game, and we'll get get. I don't even want to talk about what happened until till after the recap because we're obviously going to delve deep into it. Yeah. the biggest topic of the week. But Blackwell's pitched five innings, gave up seven hits and six runs. Uh, three two-run homers in this game. Carlos Gonzalez, Trevor Story, and Dustin Garneau, uh, all in the fourth and fifth inning. So, as Clay Buckholz does, three perfect innings, looked fantastic, couldn't have looked better. I was so excited. I'm like, of course, this game, he's going to pitch great when his season's on the line. What's going to happen to him? He's going to pitch great, which he did, until the fourth inning and fifth inning, and then all of a sudden, six runs later, it's like, whoa, huh? Yep. <laughs> We've seen this before. It, yes. Yeah, shocker. Is really yeah. No, I'm done. So over it. It was just such a drastic change from looking completely dominant. Colorado had no idea how to hit through three innings, and then all of a sudden it was six to two before you could even like realize what happened. So yeah, and it was I was, I was thinking he was going to do so well too because it was Wade Boggs' retirement night. Jackie Bradley Jr. was going for 30 games. And I was like, oh, so of course Clay Buckles is going to take the spotlight when no one expects him to. <laughs> I had it all lined up, and then you just totally, just completely fell apart. Yeah, first couple innings there for you, Jess. You, your argument was going to be solid. You were going to come here and throw it in my face, and it was going to be great for you, yep. but nope. <laughs> and it completely went the opposite way. So all in all, it turned out to be a horrendous game besides Wade Boggs. His retirement ceremony was good. It was, And even that, that was terrible. I don't want a big Wade Boggs guy. Well, yeah, a lot of and people then, aren't. And then he came out and threw his war as the Yankees. World Series ring to the Red Sox ceremony for his like for the '86 team. The night before, yeah, right. Well, that was terrible. Well, who does? Don't do that. I forgot to mention do that, that the uh, the Sox. Don't do. Don't do. <laughs> the, the, what are you doing Wade Boggs? Don't be an idiot. The team honored the '86 team on uh, Tuesday, on Wednesday night. So just a small note there. So yeah, Wade Boggs got got his number retired. Said it was the happiest day of his baseball life. So I was kind of sitting there wondering, what about the Baseball Hall of Fame? What about winning a World Series? Winning a World Series, I guess yeah. not. <laughs> so, fine. Great, so that happened. So that was the only like positive thing that happened because Buckles was terrible. Sox lost 8-2 to when Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hitting streak ended. So I blame the streak ending on John Farrell. Yeah, we'll get to that also. Um, I want to talk about that after, but what are you doing so, moving him to hit leadoff? I know Mookie Betts didn't play. I get that he needed a day off. Hit anybody else. Anybody else, lead off. Just do not, don't move him. And see, I don't think your argument holds water because um, two of his hits were literally inches away from home runs. So. Oh, I get that he hit the ball. I understand that. But, like, the mojo, you just don't do it. Just don't move it. Like, because going into the game, you don't know that that was going to happen. No, like, going into the game, you just, you just put him in the position he's comfortable. This is a kid that he has been so streaky in his career and so up and down that when you find something that's working, do not change it. Yeah. We disagree on that, but we'll get to it. Um, so, yeah, crappy game, 8-2 loss, 2 out of 3. I called it. Thank you. Bow here, bow there. All right, let's move on. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I might have considered doing 2 out of 3. I didn't really realize Clay Buckholz was pitching in this series. <laughs> uh, I thought he was pitching in Toronto. I didn't remember the order, but um, I, I probably still would have said sweep anyway just because the Rockies are bad, um, but I would have been a lot less thoughtful of maybe saying 2 out of 3 if I realized Clay Buckholz was pitching. Yep, you and a lot of other people, unfortunately. Which brings us into Friday. Toronto. This was a uh, really back and forth game. Uh, the pitching matchup was um, Aaron Sanchez and Joe Kelly. So you'd expect could be high scoring, could be anything really. You never know what to expect from from Kelly and Sanchez has been up and down. So 
Uh, and that's what the game was. Um, Toronto got up in the first. Josh Donaldson at a home run. Sox tied at one with a Bradley Jr. ground out. Josh Donaldson again, the third RBI double. Sox tied back up at two with a Hanley Ramirez RBI single. And Josh Donaldson again. <laughs> Bottom of the fourth RBI single. So all of a sudden, already in four innings, he has a single, double, and home run. Guy's nuts. Um, Edwin Encarnacion give Toronto a 4-2 lead with the sack fly. Smoke made a 5-2 an inning later. Um, and then Sox made a comeback and ended up tying it up in the seventh and eighth. Vasquez got a two RBI single in the seventh to make it 5-4. Travis Shaw tied the game with an RBI single in the eighth to tie it at five. And guess who? Yep, Josh Donaldson again. <laughs> hit his fourth hit, his second home run off Koji Uihara. He took a high outside pitch. Really, the swing wasn't even that nice. It was kind of a a late swing. The ball was high and away. And somehow he managed it to put it over the wall and right. And it hurt big, big time because it was the turned out to be the game winner because the Sox couldn't score. And clearly this was Josh Donaldson's night. Yeah, Josh. I love Josh Downs as a player. I always have. Um, he he came up big tonight that night, and I think that it was just set the pace for the entire series. Um, bullpen got didn't really wasn't good this game in terms of Koji. Um, it just it just wasn't an overall great game. It was tight, um, but for the bullpen again, first first of a couple here that just didn't work look well. But Josh Donaldson though, man, he's he's finally. I think he's getting back to himself. He's he's hitting the ball. Yeah, he's only hitting in the two fifties right now, but he's. He's racking up the home runs now. He's up to 13. And yeah, this game is tough because the Sox were always coming back. Down one nothing, down 2-1, down 4-2, down 5-2. <laughs> you know, they were, they were climbing back the entire game. So. It's like you're climbing up a cliff and like reaching for the ledge. And just Every time you get there, the ledge gets bigger and taller. And it's like the mountain's growing on you. And like that's what happened in this game. And you, every time the Red Sox got any closer, you just all of a sudden, the like, yeah, nope, we're going to pull that away from you. It's like that insurance commercial. Hey, I got you a dollar. Like it's just like it's just so close to pulling away. It, it was it was a tough game to watch. Yeah, it was, and it was even tougher to watch because Joe Kelly was on the mound. Which I didn't yeah. even mention he pitched four and two thirds, nine hits, five runs, three walks, eight strikeouts, a lot of strikeouts. But in fine Joe Kelly fashion, ninety four pitches <laughs> through four and two thirds innings. The opposite of Stephen Wright. This guy can't get through more than four or five innings without throwing like a hundred pitches. He is such your plague. Like what what Clay Buckles is to most people, Joe Kelly is to you. <laughs> Like, you hate Joe Kelly. It's just, he's just, I know I'm being a hypocrite because I know Buckles is also inconsistent, but just, I don't know, the way that Kelly Kelly does it, like, is like he's just god-awful, and then he wins, <laughs> then he wins eight straight games, and then he goes in the DL, and then he comes back, and he pitches six and two-thirds, no hit, and then he gives up five runs and four and two-thirds. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> It's. I think with him, it, with, with me, that drives me really crazy, which isn't as big of a problem with Buckles, is just the pitches. Because Kelly just has no idea how to go deep in a game, and it just kills the bullpen. And you know, every time he pitches, you know you can expect him to not go more than five innings because he can't. Yeah, no, you, he can't. And I think that he's. It's the command that's not right with him, and it never really has been. We all know he has the stuff, and it's like the, it's like a broken record. It's the same argument as Buckles. We know he has the stuff. He just doesn't have the command, whereas Buckles doesn't have the command, but he also doesn't have the mentality of pitch. Joe Kelly can get annoyed and get fired up. Clay Buckles never can. What's the problem with both these guys? That's that's ultimately why, although they can be good pitchers, they're not going to be. Because, like you said, Buckles doesn't have the mentality. Kelly doesn't have the command. They just 
and they're both injury prone. You can't be a good pitcher no matter how good you are if you have those problems. They're never going to be aces. They're never going to be top of the rotation guys, and they're never going to be able to be relied upon because they're so all over the no, place. You know, it's, it's I, you have no clue what you're going to get ever. Yeah, no, you really don't, and that's the problem, and that's why this rotation and this pitching as a whole is really what's going to hold this team back from doing anything special at all this year. Yeah, this was finally, it's been covered up by the offense, and continues to be covered up by the offense, but there's no question that there's some questionable guys in the rotation, which has been the case for several years, and we knew it was going to be the case again. Fortunately, it's gotten covered really well, and they're still one of the best teams in the league, even with it. But this week finally kind of showed, like, wow, when you get bad pitching, sometimes you can't win every game. Yeah, you can't be up like 20 percentage points or whatever it is, like, and the rest of the offense in the American League, the rest of the teams, and win, win consistently. Like, like Saturday was even worse. You put up nine runs and lost. Yeah, you can't expect the offense to win you every single game. You've got to have good pitching, which obviously is what David Price is there for, and apparently Stephen Wright and Rick Porcello has been great. But, yeah, Kelly, who knows? Buckholtz, who knows? It's, it's, it's a little concerning. I know the offense will continue to be good, but they're bound to have some kind of slump at some point. And, you know, minor slump this this uh, series, scoring the two against Colorado. I mean, five in this game is obviously certainly good enough to get a win, but if you don't have good pitching, it's not good enough to get a win sometimes. So Exactly. It's tough. And, yeah, I you can call me a hypocrite all you want. That's fine with these two guys. But just at least with Buckle, it's like I feel like when he's when – he, Pitch, he, he can pitch well like in certain points of the game. Kelly either pitches terrible the whole game or really good the whole game. There's no in-between. At least Buckles, you know, maybe he can calm down for like three or four innings, which he's done numerous times, get you through a little part of the game, maybe get a comeback. But when Kelly pitches, it's just like bombs away. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's Joe Kelly's hard to watch. I'm not, I'm not saying I like Joe Kelly um, by any I'm means. Just I get why that. he's <laughs> – I get why – I know I'm saying I get why he's your plague. Uh, but I think Buckholz just has more issues. Yeah, and we've seen Buckholz for a lot longer, so I get why people are more annoyed yeah. at him. It makes me less annoyed at him because I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to Kelly as much yet because he still drives me nuts. But yeah, probably overall, in the end, you're probably better off without both of them. <laughs> for all, you're we're, much better off. If we're being realistic, <laughs> even me with my Buckholz obsession, even I can understand that that's probably the case. So it's too bad because they both could be good, but they just don't. Don't have the cojones to do it. They really don't. It's it's a shame. And as a, as a result, the Sox lost two in a row, courtesy of both of them. So uh, <laughs> it moves us into Saturday, which, uh, wow, this game was just... Well, first of all, I'm going to preface this by saying I was recapping this game, and the game started at 1. I had to leave for work at 4.50, and I just took a chance and said, I'll recap the game. And little did I know I'd get a nice four, almost four-hour game that almost went into extra innings, I was freaking out because at a certain point at the end of the game, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get the recap before I went to work. I was like, great, six hours late in the recap. It, 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 was, it was a shame, and it, that was just the game it was. Fortunately, I squeaked it out, not fortunately for the Red Sox, but fortunately for me. And uh, this was probably, I mean, it was one of the most entertaining games of the season through and through because it was just so back and forth. But as it turned out, it turned out to be, Probably no, not probably. It was the worst loss of the season, no doubt about it. And I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll start from the beginning, even though most most of it happened at the end. Um, Toronto got up three nothing in the third inning. I was Rick Porcello against um, Marcus Stroman, so you think it'd be a really good pitching matchup because <laughs> they both had really solid years so far. 
Yeah. But it was the uh, the offense that came together in this game and the umpiring. Uh, <laughs> um, I would know. Yeah, umpiring um, was rough in, rough in this game. Yeah, I would know. I watched every pitch because I was recapping it. And, yeah, the Sox were lucky to be down 3 nothing after 3, but it shouldn't even have been close to that. Uh, Rick Porcello, the first thing was Edwin Encarnacion. No, 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 sorry. He got hit. It was um, Josh Donaldson. He got walked to load the bases after it was one nothing, and it was a full count pitch, and Kelly threw it. Kelly? <laughs> Hello. Porcello. <laughs> Porcello threw it right down the middle, and the umpire called it ball four, but it wasn't. It was a strike. Couldn't have been more of a strike. It was such a strike. Yeah. Oh, my. It was such a strike. It wasn't even close. It was a, no, it really wasn't. And, like, yes, Vasquez moved his glove across the zone. It didn't hit the spot it was supposed to, but... He caught it as a strike, and it's not like it wasn't like the rust, the uh, the Brian McCann one where he caught the ball in the dirt. Like he caught the ball right in the middle of the strike zone. So I yeah, don't care where was, the glove. Was. The McCann one was a lot worse. He caught the ball in the strike zone and put it more in the strike zone. It's still a strike either way you look at it. Right, and that was this happened after the home plate umpire had to leave the game because he got hit in the chin with a ball. So we had a different umpire. The crew chief Brian Gorman took over behind the plate, and he was terrible. I don't know what happened. You expect him to be better, but probably would have been better off just having the other guy stay in the game, unfortunately. So that was the first bad call. Next bad call, next batter, Edwin Encarnacion got hit by a pitch in the arm, but he got hit by the pitch because he was swinging, and he swung almost all the way. It was completely a swing, no question about it. The umpires called a hit-by-pitch and a no-swing. This couldn't have been more obvious of a swing without replay even because he almost went all the way through. So the Red Sox challenged it, and I found out later on they could only challenge if he was hit by the pitch, not if he swung. So clearly the umps just went and looked at it. Obviously he got hit by the pitch, so they couldn't change it. So they got a run and hit by pitch, but it was not even close. The, the, I mean, I'm just picturing the umpires going and watching the replay and being like, wow, we didn't call that a swing. How stupid can we be? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened, because obviously you can't challenge that because the balls and strikes thing, but... It's it's obvious that he swung, and they probably went and looked at that and went, oh, I guess we got to give this guy first base now. Whoops, okay, here you go, have first base. Like, they had to have been talking to themselves, and like, whoops, uh, our bad. <laughs> so, so painfully, obviously, a swing. So there's two ones, below the bases and a run. Both shouldn't have been, so it was 2 nothing at that point. Fortunately, Porcello got out of it. Saunders had a new double play and make it 3 nothing. unfortunately, but that's all they would get. Should have been one nothing, not 3 nothing. But with this offense, they came right back. Xander Bogarts hit a home run, extended the saving streak to uh, 20 at this point. And uh, <laughs> it was 3-1 to one at that point. And the next inning in the fifth, the Sox tied it up at three. Uh, Pedroia and Ramirez with the RBIs. Uh, two RBIs for, for both of them. They both got two RBI hits. Yep. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was 5-3. And then Travis Shaw made it 7-3 with a two-run homer in the sixth. So we're feeling really good. Um, two innings later... Through seven, it was eight to four, so everything was looking great. I was thinking I'm good to go to work. We're gonna win this game, <laughs> and then the bullpen, which had been absolutely, unbelievably good. I heard some stat over the last like month or something. They were by far the best ERA in the league, like two twenty or something in the last month. Or it was something, something nuts. Oh, yeah, they've, they've been pitching great, especially Craig Kimbrell and. uh but then the eighth inning happened, and the combination of Tommy Lane and Junichi Tozawa just totally, and Craig Kimbrell, completely stunk up the eighth inning. The three of them combined gave up uh, four runs, 
two of them were given to Lane, two were given to Tozawa. The last uh, run was given to, to Tozawa, but Kimbrell gave it up on the inherited runner. Um, so they tied it at eight, and I was like, well, this is great. And then David Ortiz comes up and hits a home run in the top of the ninth, because why not? He's the clutch king. And uh, he made a 9-8. And now I'm sitting there like, all right, working 20 minutes. I got a 9-8 lead. This is great. This is perfect. And then Craig Kimbrell comes back out for the ninth, and Russell Martin hits an RBI double, one strike away from winning. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, what am I going to do? You probably said a lot worse words than that. <laughs> I'd more just kind of stare at the TV like, uh, great. We just blew a four-run lead and then another lead. And I'm sitting here needing to go to work. I just couldn't believe it. So uh, Devin, uh, Devin Travis took care of it in the next batter and <laughs> won the game. Uh, it was it was it was so painful to watch because yeah, the eighth inning happened. Your bullpen sucked. I get it. But then David Ortiz comes in and is the hero. He it's it. It's a race. You, you it happens. Okay, you, you get a lead back. Kimball's coming back on the mound. Okay, we're good. Nope, just kidding. Hearts torn out again. And look, do I question maybe the thoughts of letting Kimbrel pitch that many, like throw that many pitches? Yes, of course I do. Um, one because I just question everything John Farrell does, but it's a it's a reasonable question because it's it's a thing. Like he was he threw how many pitches that that game? Just forty nine. Yeah. Like yeah. So like he threw a lot of pitches for a guy who doesn't throw that off. He never goes too many, and you asked him to get that many outs. He, it doesn't work. So I can see the question there, and I do question that, but I still obviously. Kimbrell was in, so he's got to do his job, and he didn't. So it was hard to watch, but I do question that move, leaving Kimbrell in for that long. Yeah, it's obviously tough, and he obviously was in longer because he wasn't getting the job done. But I can see the thought process because, you know, he gives up the inherited run, <clears throat> didn't throw a ton of pitches in the eighth inning, and then and then you're you're sitting there like, okay, tie game. You're going to bring in Ross if the game's tied, but then Ortiz gives you the lead. So it's like, all right, we'll give him another chance. He'll be fired up to get the save. It's all good. And then he blows it again. It was like, I see the thought process, but just blowing blowing the game twice is like, whew. I know the first one wasn't his fault necessarily. but I, I know I question it, but also, again, I also look at that and go, who else are you going to bring in? I don't like Robbie Ross. Robbie Ross is not good. Yeah. Like, Robbie Ross is not good enough to get you to, to help be a deep part of this bullpen. I don't I don't think Robbie Ross is good. I know Jared Carabas loves Robbie Ross. He really does, actually. That's not a joke. Um, I, I don't like him. Um, and I think that in that situation, as much as I question the move, I would have also cringed if they brought Robbie Ross in. So it really is a lose-a-lose in that situation. Really. No, I like Ross, too, but he hasn't really pitched a whole lot of high-leverage situations at this point. Well, he's not meant to be, he's not meant to be a high-leverage guy on this team. Yeah. He's a good you know, six like, or seven inning or mop up role or something like that. Exactly. Like he's not meant. He's meant to take some innings off of the big guys. Um, he, he's meant the, the high stress guys were supposed to be Carson Smith, obviously rest in peace <laughs> to him in his in his arm. Um, but other than that, you have Koji Tazawa and Kimbrel, and those are your high stress guys. So I get why you would have left Kimbrel in because Robbie Ross isn't meant to be in those situations, just like Clay Buckholz wasn't meant to be in the situation today, <laughs> and he still got put into it, and I was so mad, I screamed at my TV when I saw Clay Buckholz go in today. <laughs> yeah, and this was tough, because Koji just given up the two-run homer on Friday night, and then Tozawa pitched like complete garbage in this game, yep. and then mm-hmm. you have Kimbrell, who's already given up an inherited run, so it's like, all right, we'll throw him out there again. So it's kind of a, yeah, lose-lose. You don't, nobody was pitching well, unfortunately. And it was Kimbrell's birthday, too, which is a shame. That he had to blow it. 28, right? 28, 28. yeah. It's a shame that he had to Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. You suck. Yeah, it's a shame that he had to blow the game twice on his birthday, but that's how it happened. 
He really did. That's so bad. Yeah. Worst birthday present ever. And we didn't even talk about how it happened. Uh, Travis hit it to third. Uh, <laughs> Travis Shaw made a great play at third and threw a really long throw, and it bounced. I mean, I think Hanley should have had it. That's a play that he's been making usually. I kind of think the pressure got to him. You can't blame the whole loss on him, but it was kind of a shame that he had to kind of botch the biggest play of his season so far. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. We had to expect it at some point, right? Oh, of course you did. No, of course you did. I can, yeah, but it's just it, the way it happened. Yeah, just to lose that game that you had such a big lead in and so many runs and so long the game was just, oh, such a shame. Oh, if they had choked Sunday, which I know you're going to get to in a second, that would have made it even worse. That would hurt even oh, more. Oh, yeah, because at this point it's a three-game losing streak, which is obviously not great because they had two nice wins before that, which is <laughs> this is obviously where the, the week went sour and the third straight loss. But, yeah, it brought us into Sunday, and uh, – Final game of the series, David Price, R.A. Dickey. Obviously, matchup appeared to favor Price, even though <laughs> Price of the R.A. is higher than Dickey. Price is 7-1, and one, and Dickey's 2-6. and six. That's hilarious. Yep. Yeah, it, I, <laughs> I, I was on. I was, I was talking to friends on a show I do earlier in the day on Sundays, and it, it, it was just, it was, I, I looked at this game and went, okay, Red Sox are winning this game. I'm not a big R.A. Dickey guy. And I just don't think the Red Sox obviously Red Sox obviously always have his number for some reason, mm-hmm. but I I just don't like R. A. Dickey. Um, and obviously I was proved right today, but like it's just watching that game. Like I never was worried, even with the no hitter. I'm like, well, at some point you're going to get to him because he's not that good. Yeah, it was a great great start for both pitchers. Uh, yeah, no hitter for a while for for Dickey. Sox didn't score for five innings. Toronto didn't score for four innings. Uh, Price Batista got the home uh, the run started with a home run in the fifth to make it two nothing. Sox got three back in the uh, sixth inning, mostly on walks and hit by pitches. Uh, Pedroia got an RBI single, then Hanley got hit with the bases loaded, and then Jackie got washed with the bases loaded, so it was three to two. Dickey pitched five and a third, three hits, three runs, four walks, one strikeout. Kind of an odd outing. It's always <laughs> odd when you have more walks allowed than hits and strikeouts, so and runs, for yeah. that matter. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was definitely weird. Unfortunately, uh well, Price was done after six and a third. He gave up five hits, two runs. Uh, pitched pretty well. Um, but everyone Acarnacion blew it, tied the game in the eighth inning with a home run, made it three to three, and uh, that was it for regula- regulation for the nine inning uh, game. At that point, it went to extra innings, and as we've mentioned numerous times, Clay Buckles came in in the tenth inning, and actually oh, was shaking. Actually, didn't give up a run, just one hit, and he got a strikeout. And ended up getting the win. And, yeah, obviously at that point, bottom of the 10th inning, you're like, wow, Buckholz is in against a really good offense. You've already lost three games in a row. What's going to happen? Yeah, I went, I went when Clay Buckholz came in, I'm not even kidding, I screamed at the TV when I saw he was warming up. Because um, the way the game was going, it was him or Koji, depending on how it worked out. Um, ended up They both they both ended up pitching. But um, when Clay Buckholz was coming, when the, when he was up there and warming up, and he was warming up for a few innings because obviously he's a starter and needs to get his work in before he gets in the game. Um, so I, I literally screamed at my TV, and then he let up that single. Justin, you said you didn't really watch the whole game, but um, he let up the single. It was a meatball curveball, like typical Clay Buckholz curveball, like right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Awesome. Um, start of something, and then but his cutter though I will give him credit because he did, after that he settled down he he got out of the inning no problem no runs um, his cutter was great today he was hitting the outside corner against righties with his cutter like nobody's business and they were all late with it so I would give Clay Buckle some credit today he looked good for his first in out of the bullpen yeah and he apparently looked different he was like he looked pissed he was mad and he was 
really wanted to pitch well and they got out of the inning. Yeah, I can say it's as much confidence as I claimed to have in him when I was falling on my phone at this point. I was like, oh, please just don't go up any runs. Please, please, please. I was like, I can't go through another Clay Buckholz loss, especially this one. And I just sat there and prayed on my phone that he would get through this inning, and he got through the inning. It was great. He got the win, too. Yeah, he got the win because Boston got three run, uh, two runs in the top of the 11th inning. Dustin Pedroia got the big one, RBI. Ground will double, make it 4-3. Bogarts added a run and a ground out. Extended his hitting streak to uh, 21 games. 22, 22, right? Yeah. I was still thinking on yesterday. So, yeah, nope. he got up to 22 games. And, uh, yeah, Sox won 5-3. Koji looked fantastic in the 11th inning, completely unlike his, his uh, outing on Friday against against the uh, the Jays and Josh Donaldson. So he closed it up with two strikeouts. Sox won 5-3, salvaged the last game, got a 3-3 three and three week. They are now 30-20, and 20, one game ahead of Baltimore coming into that series. And still the best team in the American League. Yeah, and first team in the American League to 30 wins, um, yep. which is exciting. Uh, same record as your uh, San Francisco Giants, I believe, or close to yeah, it. They're 32 um, and 20 at this point. So, but yeah. the Red Sox have one of the best offenses. It it's not the best offense in baseball anymore, is it? Or is it still technically by numbers? In terms of runs? Yes. Oh, yeah, we're first. It, that's what I thought. I haven't looked at it, but I knew I assumed it kind of still was because they were so far ahead. They were so far ahead of everybody else. Um, look, this team's doing great. Obviously, a 3-3 three and three week is tough, but there's no. we're going to obviously preview the week ahead, but... This upcoming week is going to be huge for this team. It is big. But, yeah, 30-20 and 20 right now, third-best team in the major leagues. <laughs> we haven't Not seen. where we, any of us thought we were going to be. Yeah, something we haven't seen in a couple of years. And looking back, more like 2013, good offense, teams happy, getting wins, top of the league. It's fantastic. So really hope that can continue. It's great so far, and they're definitely going to go deep in the season playing well because they're definitely on the right track. And as Chad Finn said last week, it's going to have to be a huge collapse for them to become like a 500 team or below. Because oh, yeah. then you got to lose a ton of games if you're already 10 over, which is why this is great. Uh, MVP this week, i got a couple. I'm giving co-MVP to Dustin Pedroia and Xander Bogarts. Um, Pedroia was 10 for 24 with five runs, five doubles, and four RBI. Great week for him. And Bogarts was 10 for 26, nine runs, two homers, and three RBI, and extended his hitting streak to 22 games. Uh, for pitchers, I just threw this in David Price. Not great numbers, but he... Had an easy chance to go 2-0. and He gave up five runs and 13 in the third innings, nine strikeouts. Pretty good week, and obviously much, much, much improved from what he's done in the past. So having two starts, I figured I'd just mention him. But, yeah, my real MVPs are Pedroia and Bogarts. Bogey. Okay, it's just great. I love him. Dustin Madroy did have a great week, though. I feel like Dustin Madroy, just real quick, is like sliding under the radar this year. Like, totally. He's just sneaky, sneaky having a great year, but no one's talking about it because there's so many other storylines with this team. Yeah, he's totally getting overshadowed by Ortiz being incredible, Bogarts and Bradley with their hitting streaks. It's really, he's getting overshadowed by Shaw playing so well. and his Hanley playing well. Hanley, yeah. Vasquez, Eduardo Rodriguez, there's so many other storylines that people care about that Dustin Pedroia is just doing well and, and doing what is expected of him, and no one's talking about it. Yeah, meanwhile, he's sitting here hitting 308 with six homers, 22 RBI, 36 runs. Yeah, he's hitting a lot of doubles. He's making a case for the All-Star team. Oh, absolutely. He's doing... Sort of like half, so is half our roster, though. <laughs> well, yeah, we could have a ton of All-Stars this year. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's doing more like what he did in his really good years, his his better years earlier in his career, so I'm sure he's fine with it. He's one of the older players and he's just doing his business and playing great. I'm sure he's fine going under the radar. 
Oh, I'm sure he is, and, and that's kind of what – he's a dirt dog. That's what he does. Um, but there you go. Jess's recap, three and three on the week for the Red Sox, and, of course, it was brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Aprons achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms. It's a huge impact on the community, as well as fisheries and ranchers across the United States. As a result, seafood is sourced sustainably, and it's local. Beef is raised humanely, and it's always fresh. Chickens are free-range. Pork is raised naturally. Um, Meats available in May. Uh, crispy cod, cabbage, slaw tacos with pizza, pineapple, and avocado salsa, pan-seared pork chops with two cheese, mashed potatoes, and sautéed spinach. I had my first uh, Blue Apron meal tonight. It was fantastic. It was teriyaki cod with some rice, uh, teriyaki rice with uh, scallions and uh, roasted, um, what am I thinking, asparagus. Just, it was delicious, um, and it made cooking seafood very easy. Yeah, I've got... Everything good to say about Blue Apron. Obviously, I've been posting a lot of stuff on uh, on social media because me and Bridget have had a, a blast uh, cooking the stuff. We also had one tonight. We had uh, catfish and some. Uh, I love catfish. Some udon noodles with the spicy good sauce. So I've had four meals at this point, and they've all been great. And I've posted something about all of them on on social media. So once again, CLNS underscore Jess saying definitely check out check out. Uh, Jessica's on a little mini web series going with Blue Apron. So. Yeah, this is like the most active I've been in social media in my life. So make sure you check out my videos. And um, actually, we've done a couple of live Facebook videos that obviously you can watch after the fact. Um, Bridget posted them, but she posted them on my Facebook as well. So you can mm-hmm. find us on, on uh, Facebook and watch the videos. Follow Jared at Radio 18 for his uh his pictures yes, today, I mean, we're we're posting all kinds of stuff. I know, Lauren. I'm not as social media savvy as those two are, but I am posting my experiences, so you can definitely check it out. Um, they, Of course, Blue Apron makes is variety. It's flexible. It's easy, um, and we have a deal for you. We can make it very easy to have as, as much happiness and success that we have. Uh, if you check out this week's menu and get your two free meals with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash redsoxbeat, uh, you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait again. And that's blueapron.com slash red socks beat blue apron a better way to cook and of course you can follow us all for the updates on how that's going um, and really this is not it's not like your typical thing where where we're just like oh this is great you know like w- without even like having the great experience like they've given us the experience to do this and to make their food mm-hmm. and it actually is great and the promo is it's we're not it's a great deal. We're not like feeding you crap here. It's a really good deal. <laughs> You're getting a lot of food for a good price, a lot more food than you get from the grocery store, especially if you go out to eat because going out to eat is really not cost effective in the first place. It's really it's a good deal and with the two free meals with our our uh our promotion here. It's it's really it really is a good deal and I'm not even just saying that to get you to do it. Nope. Uh blueapron.com backslash or slash red socks beat. Um it's either, yes, it really tailors to cooking um, for dummies or cooking for professionals. It kind of goes either way. It's step-by-step directions. If you don't want them, you don't need them, but they're there, um, and it works both ways. So I think it's kind of there for everybody. Um, so, yes, yeah, so go check that out again, um, and we'll, we're definitely here to help out. Um, but, just like we kind of touched on in the recap here, um, I think the biggest news this week was Clay Buckles, and still is Clay Buckles. And um, obviously he wasn't pitching well, got another, had that tough start, got banished to the bullpen, um, and he, I think you saw the first fire in him ever 
in a Red Sox uniform when someone asked him about it, and he said something expletive like, I'm in the bullpen, I write that down. Like, he was mad. Uh, and I finally, I'm so happy they did this because as much as I don't think Clay Buckholz should be in the bullpen, I don't want him on this team, it, I think it lit a fire under his rear end, and I think it's helping him in the long run. And you saw it in the start, in the uh, the outing he had today, one inning of relief. He he was pitching pissed, and it finally looked like he cared on the mound. Yeah, I've got really mixed feelings about it. I mean, obviously, I don't need to tell anybody again that I've been a <laughs> advocate for huge advocate. For yeah, that, that's the at least. Yeah, and I don't need to keep repeating that. But obviously, at this point in the season, with a two and five record with a ERA of about seven, obviously, he wasn't getting the job done at this point. And there was no denying that. I couldn't even deny that. It's frustrating. Give him a ton of home runs, second most home runs in the league. He was just pitching like garbage every game, except for one. And, <laughs> and so obviously something had to be done. Every start that he had, it was basically a guaranteed loss at this point with the way he was pitching. So something needed to be done. He was getting too comfortable with, like, oh, I uh, threw a hit, hit my spot, so they hit a couple pitches that were good, and I gave up runs. Like, yeah, you're giving the same excuse every game, and that's always been the case. And it's just kind of the same old tune over and over again. So something needed to be switched up and mixed up, and obviously putting him in the bullpen switches and mixes things up big time. And clearly, like he said, he wasn't interested in talking about it. He didn't want to talk to reporters. He just said, yeah, I got exploded, move to the bullpen, write that down. Like, there's my quote. And everyone used it. That was that was the quote he wanted, and that's the quote that he got. And I was concerned because it's like, why would he be getting the bullpen? He can have terrible outings, and if he just gives up a couple home runs, he could completely destroy a game. Like, if he did bad today, he would have completely destroyed the game. And that's the problem with the bullpen. On the other side... Maybe he will be good because he can just focus on a couple batters, not have to worry about the whole game because obviously yep. he's had spots in games, like I mentioned earlier, where he has pitched well for several innings. So maybe he could be valuable. Maybe this it does happen to guys that are not good starters and all of a sudden they become relievers and they're good. It certainly has not never happened before. So you got to hope that that's going to happen. Tough to know at this point if he will stay in the bullpen. I mean, obviously, if a starter is terrible, <clears throat> Joe Kelly, um, <laughs> or Eduardo Rodriguez, if he's not right or whatever, we'll find out soon there. But he, you know, they're not going to hesitate to put him back in the rotation, especially if it's, like, soon-ish, within a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, and, and I think that, like, look, and I'm definitely an advocate of him not being on the team, but um, I think I, m- me, myself included, have to slow, the, slow our roll on that one because he's depth in case someone does get hurt if someone pitches poorly. Look, Eduardo Rodriguez is starting Tuesday. I don't expect much from him, Jess, but what if a month down the road he gets hurt again he's not healthy? Or what if someone gets hurt and you're not at the deadline yet where you don't have that trade made for a number two guy if that even happens? You need someone to fill that role, and I don't trust Henry Owens to do it. Nope. Um, Brett, uh, Brian Johnson nope. is now being treated for anxiety, so he's not around the team. Nope. Um, you need someone. And Clay Buckholz is the guy. So if, if going to the bullpen fixes him, uh, great. And if it all works out, then maybe he's the guy you're, to patch the bullpen up to help you out, and he's successful out in the bullpen, whatever. Um, but clearly, I don't think being in the bullpen is in his long-term plans. So maybe this is the kick in the rear, and he needs to fix it and to get back into the rotation. That's exactly what I was going to say. If if the bullpen doesn't work out, or if he doesn't stay there for long, or if he doesn't like or whatever, then at least, yeah, at least they kicked his butt and said, hey, we just kicked you out of the rotation. How does it feel? You want to come back? You want to pitch better? You want to earn it? Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I it, I don't think it can be bad because, you know, he doesn't – yeah, he was upset when it happened, you know, not talking to reporters and stuff. But, you know, Clay Buckholz is 
kind of a I don't want to like crap on him. <laughs> he's kind of a weak personality, and he's kind of a weak is this understatement. Yeah, he doesn't. You know, he's just, the way he looks at the reporter and stuff, and he just kind of looks like he's basically clueless and has no idea what he's saying, and doesn't even believe what, himself what he's saying. And year after year, yeah, I think I'm gonna go out there and uh, I'm gonna pitch well this year. I feel good. <laughs> it's like it, it just says the same crap over and over again. It's speaking of that too. I heard you like saying when you said he is he's feeling good. Um, was there any chance before? Because he obviously made out the comments. Yeah, I feel great. I'm 100. percent It's not health. Wouldn't they have put him on the? Do you think they would have put him on the DL if he didn't say that? Because I've heard that rumblings too. I've I've read some of that's kind of the theory of well, they could have put him on the DL with the mystery like roll out of bed the wrong way type injury. Mm-hmm. But he came out already like a few times and said, I feel fine, I feel great, I just got to figure it out. So, Or is this, uh, okay, this is the new regime, Dombrowski said, go to the bullpen. Well, I think it's smart either way, and I'm glad that he said he felt good because if, he, if they went to the DL again, just, it just fuels people's fire to hate his guts even more. Because, and no one would have believed him. Yeah, and this is what everyone's expecting. Well, he's going to go to the DL at some point, so might as well throw him on there for no reason at this point. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's, I'm, I mean, I'm happy that he's not hurt, and yeah, it's... I think, well, I th- you know, I think it's good. I mean, it obviously kind of shows that you're not doing well either, but I think it's nice sometimes to just have a pitcher pitch like crap and just say, you know what, I pitch like crap. I'm not hurt. I just suck. It's okay. <laughs> and just go to the bullpen and be like, let's start over. Let's try again. Instead of just making some crap up, oh, yeah, he, had, he fell out of his bed the wrong way. He's Pablo of All that crap. It's like, come on. It's, you're not good. You didn't pitch well. So go to the bullpen and figure it out. I like that. You know, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'm glad that they, they kind of kicked him out of the rotation there, and obviously for good reason because Eduardo Rodriguez is back Tuesday um, in Baltimore pitching against the Orioles. A big start just to come out um, for his first start. I don't expect too much from him. I don't think I need him to go more than six innings to be happy, but um, still a big start to come back for your first one. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, and it is hard to know what to expect because – He's been out for a while, and he didn't pitch very well in his rehab starts. So a little concerning there. I'm definitely interested to see how he does. But keep Clay right there in the back burner just in case. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, I, I think Eduardo seems healthy. I think Rodriguez is ready to go, and I think it's going to be nice to have him back in the rotation um, to kind of do some patchwork until maybe down the road. Um, I still think sooner rather than later you're going to see a deal made for another starter. Um, I think I think I really think Zombrowski's just slowly waiting for one team to fall out of it. Cough, cough. The Oakland Athletics, um, and hopefully maybe we'll get Sonny Gray. No, he's not. He's not. Yeah, he's hurt still, right? Yeah, he's on the deal. Yeah, I'd still trade for him now. Trade for him while he's on the deal. I know it's probably not even legal, but trade for him while he's on the deal. <laughs> figure it out. Call Roger Goodell up. He'll figure it out. Um, but look, Clay Buckles in the bullpen. That's as much as he had a good start uh, coming out of the bullpen today. Good uh, outing, one inning, like we said. So maybe a good start, something new here. And Rodriguez makes his start on Tuesday. Um, but really, though, Joe Kelly, he's the big what-if now in the rotation. Clay Buckles, you got him out of there. Now Joe Kelly's the one you have to go, okay, how long is it going to take before he gets kicked out of the rotation or someone gets bumped up instead of him? Um, how long does it take before Buckles replaces Joe Kelly? Which I would never say those words in a million years. <laughs> that would be hilarious, um, wouldn't it? Oh, just, be- uh, just swapping crap for crap. Um, More experienced what, crap for what, less experienced crap. Like, you obviously don't like Joe Kelly, Jess, but what would it take for you to say, huh, you know what? Not terrible. I don't know. I mean, I like to obviously support my pitchers and see them do well. I was nobody more thrilled than me watching him win eight straight games last year. That was great. But it's hard to know if you can expect that. And I, 
I don't know about you, but I don't feel like the organization likes him that much. Am I off base there? Um, I don't know. What makes you feel like that? Because I don't really get it. I don't really get that. Um, I know he's been hurt. I just think that they thought he was a throw-in with St. Louis, that St. Louis deal. I think ultimately the organization still wishes they had Blackie. Um, <laughs> right. And I still, and I, I think Tom Browsey comes in here and goes, you gave us this for Lackey? Like, what are you doing? Um, so I think overall, I think they're just kind of bitter towards him because of that. But I don't think Maybe. they don't like the guy. I think they're rooting for him. But I think, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they look at him and go, well, that should be Lackey. Yeah, I don't know if I'm completely on target with that. It's just It just feels like... Just for example, comparing him to Buckholz, it's like they have so much patience for Buckholz, and he's been here for so long, and they just continue to make excuses for him and like think Sage going to be better and everything like that until this point. But with Kelly, I feel like that's not the case. I feel like if he has a couple of bad starts, they're going to be like, we can't deal, we can't take this anymore. We're trying to win a win a division and get in the playoffs and stuff. I just I just feel like they have more patience for other people. I just for some reason maybe this is me projecting my own feelings onto the team, but I just feel like they don't have they're not going to have as much patience for Kelly as they do for other people. Maybe I'm crazy. No, I, I think you are because they had a lot of patience with Clay Buckle, so if you can't do that, then I don't know what's going on. But um, it's just mad. I, I, Kelly's just maddening, and I feel like he's maddening for them too because what pitching coach wants to work with a pitcher who throws 100 pitches after four innings every start? Yeah, I think it's tough, but again, I think it was almost where the Clay Buckle situation was where who else? Who, who yeah. Who's going to take Joe Kelly's spot? Because it's not going to be Clay Buckles anytime soon. So, um, And it's not going to be Henry Owens. I'd rather watch Joe Kelly pitch than Henry Owens. Same. Um, um, hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right right now, yes. I'll give Joe Kelly a few more before I start calling for Henry Owens to come back up. Because um, Owens is kind of more of the same. Walks and a lot of pitches. <laughs> exa- exactly. It's the same exact thing. So I, I think that right now you're going to give Joe Kelly the benefit of the doubt, especially seeing what he did in his first start back. Um, I want to give him a few more to see what the law of averages really tells me what he's going to be. Um, coming off the injury, but um, still, I, I think he's a, he's a head case waiting to happen. Um, another head case, Craig Kimbrell, then that nut job, but I love him. He's psychotic, but he's amazing. Um, the other night on Saturday, um, one thing that I know Chris Runyon, a loyal listener of the show, wanted us to talk about Jess, and I kind of agree with him. I noticed it when he tweeted out too. Um, Craig Kimbrell shook off Vasquez in the ninth inning on Saturday. Um, so he could throw his he, fastball to Martin that he crushed. Exactly. So, any concern there? Because I, I look, I've been a big advocate of let Vasquez call the game, trust Vasquez. Vasquez knows what he's doing, and then seeing your closer, who's your stud, shake him off, and Vasquez goes along with it. If you're Vasquez, do you force the the pitch you were calling again back down at it, or like what what's going on there? I may have at that point for one reason. The fact that he was pitching his second inning. I think usually Kimball knows what he should be doing, and he's probably usually pretty on track. And I might just agree with what he's going to do because he's been the best closer in the league for the last five years. But the yeah. fact that he was in his second inning, he throws so many pitches already. And as multiple people noted, and they noted on the broadcast, Kimball's fastball was two miles per hour less in the ninth inning than it was in the eighth inning. So clearly, that's, I mean, for someone who throws that hard, that's a huge difference. And the fact that he wanted to throw it there with one strike to go, he just wants to gas it by him, but he's already thrown, you know, 35 pitches or whatever he was at at that point. So I think at that point, Vasquez probably realized his velocity's down, because who better to know that than the catcher? And yep. and this is a huge spot where you need to get an out, and if you give up a hit, it's a tie game, and you could lose afterwards, which happened. So I think at that point, Vasquez probably 
has a better sense of the situation than Kimberl because Kimberl just knows that he throws gas. Vasquez knows that he's not throwing as much gas because he's throwing almost 40 pitches. So I think at that point in that inning, in the first inning, fine with it. Second inning, a little concerning that he shook him off. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you on that one, Jess, which I hate saying. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm right, darn it. But no, you're right. I think that the second inning, Jess, really does matter in this situation. It's Kimbrel doesn't do it too often, and Vasquez knows knows all. Vasquez knows all. I'm, I'm just going to put that on a T-shirt now and sell those because Vasquez does know all. And in that situation, I think Kimbrel's wrong, um, and obviously the mistake happened. So I, I appreciate Chris uh, bringing up that topic on Twitter to us, and I'm glad we got to talk about it because um, I, I didn't even think about it, and I, I saw it. I didn't even think twice about it, and then he brought it up. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, that's weird. Yeah, that doesn't make sense either. You're right. Um, he shouldn't have – I don't think he should have shook him off. I think Vasquez made the right decision on that one, um, and I think you're going to have to trust your catcher moving forward. Um, one other Red Sox thing I did want to touch on before we move on to MLB stuff and getting out of here for the week um, – the, the hitting streak of Xander Bogarts. Um, I think some people just kind of forgot about his hitting streak because Jackie Bradley's was so great um, with getting to 29 games and losing it because John Farrell moved him up in the order. Um, and Xander Bogarts now up to 22 games after the weekend going into this Baltimore series. Jess, I don't know about you. I think he's hitting 30 games. I think it's going to be further than Jackie Bradley's. I think Xander Bogarts is just a more pure hitter. He's got the best record in. He's got the best uh, record in the American League right now. Best batting average. There you go. Um, <laughs> I, I was getting there. ERA you know, <laughs> record. Like ERA record batting, batting average is one of those, right? Um, and he's on pace to win a batting title this year. I, I think this guy is going to crack 30 games in a row. Call me crazy, but I would be surprised if he got like 35 to 40. <laughs> it, it, the way he his thing is just look at him hit. If you watch him hit, he is not afraid to go opposite field. Um, his hit against R.A. Dickey, he pulled it, um, but he's unwilling to wait on the ball to get balls to the opposite field, and that's where a lot of his hits have come from. He's a pure hitter. I think he def- defiantly is the best hitter in the baseball for a reason, and I, I think that he deserves a longer hitting streak than Jackie Brown. Yeah, and Jackie's was incredible, but Bogarts is a more consistent hitter, I think, from game to game, because obviously we know yep. that Bradley's obviously a really streaky player at this point, or it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do at this point now the streak's over, but with yep. Bogarts, holy crap, This the amount of two and three hit games that he's had during the streak, so it's like, you're not even worried about the one hit, you're wondering if he's going to get two or three, which is why I feel like he's going to get like 35 to 40 games, because he's so consistent and getting at least one hit, and most most of the time at least two. I mean, his freaking batting average is three fifty one. The guy's incredible. He has the most hits in the league since the start of last season. He's just such a consistent line drive, just singles hitter, and it's mostly singles. He doesn't even hit a whole lot of doubles. He just he's just a single and run machine, and that those are the kind of players who get these kind of streaks. So the way he's going right now, especially with these two and three hit ones, I don't see why it would stop because he's just so consistent. Yeah, and I think that, like you said, he's a single machine. He gets his timely hits when he needs to in terms of doubles, but um, he's the type of guy that likes to spray the field, and that's why he's hitting for average. Um, A lot of people his age in his shoes would be the guy who hits about half of those because they they try to pull too much. They end up grinding out more. Um, You see him hit a lot of singles just because he's he's hitting everything, whereas a lot of guys would swing and miss, like I said, pull and ground out. Um, and then hit their doubles and, and be on their way, so he'd have a less of a batting average with those doubles. The doubles aren't the number that I'm worried about. It's the singles he's seeing so many of, and that's, like you said, that's why the streak's there. Yeah, and he's 
I mean, he's clearly not worried about home runs. He clearly wants to get a lot of hits and have a good average, and he's done an incredible job that the last two years. And hitting three fifty one after two months is, is amazing. He's totally fine being an on-base machine, and those are the kind of players that you want and need on your team. That's why. Oh, yeah. That's one of the reasons we've done so well, because you got your number three hitter getting pretty much two hits every game. I mean, yeah, maybe the streak will end, and you might have one off game where he goes 0 for 4, 0 for 5, but it's just just as much reason to believe that it's not going to happen as it is. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm on the I'm on your train there, and thinking that it will for sure happen. I think he's going to hit 30 games. I think um, obviously the Orioles and Blue Jays are a tough test coming up, but I think that where he hits in the three hole and he's comfortable there, um, he's going to see pitches too because like no one wants to pitch to David Ortiz, no. Um, no one wants to pitch to Hanley. I know Hanley's been in a rut, but still he's got that potential. Travis Shaw's back there, so Bogart. That's why Bogart has been seeing pitches, um, and that's what he's benefiting from. Obviously Ortiz is day to day as of Sunday mm-hmm. with a foot injury, getting hit in the foot, but. Um, I think Bogarts is in a good spot to really kind of be consistent with that um, and keep that streak alive. Um, but the Red Sox are in a good place, of course. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, too, real quick, Jess, because I know I saw this really early in the week and I wanted to bring it up. Um, an article on uh, chatsports.com, I'll give them their credit, um, it's brought up Freddie Freeman as a potential target for the Red Sox. Do you like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. I don't think we necessarily need it at this point, obviously, because Bogarts, because Ramirez has played so well at first base. But Freeman's also a really good player, and he's been a good player, and he's, you know, 18 home runs each of the last two years, eight home runs this season. He's he's a good hitter, and not that this team needs good hitters. So for that reason, I would say we probably don't need him just because we have so many good hitters. But if you can get somebody like that, then sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that I would rather them do that in the offseason. If they if he's going to be there in the offseason, yeah. I would rather them deal with that then. Um, I think that's a great guy to have. He, I, I don't know how old he is, I think he's, but he's younger. Um, I would love to have him on this team long term. It would be a great deal for me, but I think offseason would be a great time to do that. If you if you can almost sit there and know he's going to be there in the offseason, which I don't think he's going to leave the Braves this year unless, you, unless someone makes a hard push for him. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's there in the offseason. Right now, you have a good thing going. Hanley's at first. Travis Shaw's at third. You don't know what Pablo's situation is yet. So I forgot he even existed. You, you, I keep forgetting about him, too. You, but you don't know what that situation is. So if you bring Freddie Freeman in here, then you have a logjam at first and third. Um, and then you don't know what to do. Obviously, then Hanley would probably become your DH. But you have a lot of moving parts in that case. But right now, you don't need Freddie Freeman. You need pitching. Um, right. So I, I think that that has to be the number one priority. If you can squeeze pitching and Freddie Freeman at the deadline, go for it. Um, but hey, I think that's... Pick- so. Yes, yeah, so, and he's good. So I think that he would be awesome here. But um, if I think pitching has to be top priority there. Yeah, he shouldn't be uh, the focus. Definitely not. No, but if you can get him, by all <laughs> sure, means. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, around the league, though, a couple things to note. Um, for one, I know Jess, you were intrigued by this topic. Noah Syndergaard got tossed on a pitch just thrown behind uh, Chase Utley, um, and that kind of poses the questions nowadays: Are umps too quick? to toss guys. I think yes. I think umps are too afraid of bench-clearing brawls. I think umps are too afraid of not taking control of the game because they have egos themselves. I think I just think they're way too quick. Yeah, I don't know if they're like directed to do that or if they're just doing that on their own, but it's, yeah, a lot of a lot of ejections. Just, just period. Any Whether you're throwing at someone or coming out to argue a pitch or, you know, I know John Gibbons got ejected for like defending one of his players at some point, like, a week or so ago. It's like, they're so they're so quick to eject. It's like, well, we can't have any problems. Oh, yeah. Let's just get get rid of them and end this fight right now, end this argument right now. It's like, come on, just, like, let it happen a little bit. It's not the end of the world. If someone 
gets in a little tizzy with someone, then let him get in a little tizzy. Like, no need to just end it before it, it even starts. And, you know, someone like this, like Cinder getting thrown out, at, what was it, the third inning or something? You're just completely screwing up their bullpen for the rest of the game. Just, he didn't even hit yeah. him. He didn't even hit him. No, he threw behind didn't him. even come close. Didn't even come close. It clearly slipped. He, um, look, they're not, I think they're I'm not saying, throwing at him this this long after that that happened in the playoffs. No, that was there's no stupid. way. Yeah, and you know, and you know that was in the back of the ump's head um, yeah. when that happened. You know, they, I'm, I guarantee the league said, "Hey, keep an eye out." You know what happened last year, um, so it's probably league driven too. But it's so stupid. I, I just um, they were way too quick to toss them. Um, and and it's, it's a league-wide thing. It's not like it was just that one situation. I think umps are trigger-happy when it comes to tossing guys. Um, you get that little, their little the, uh, personal high. You're getting that. Yeah. They're like, get guy. out of here. Yeah, you're gone. You're gone. Yeah. Like, what? For what? Like, what are you talking about? What did he do? Um, yeah, unfortunately, so, it's like that's that's the excitement for them. But unfortunately for them, and they know this when they start the job, no one's coming to the game or watching the game to see the umpires. No, the better you are at your job, the less we're going to talk about you. That's when you're a good umpire. Exactly. And you're, you'll get credit for being a good umpire eventually when we announce crews and talk about them. We'll go, oh, hey, this such and such is a great umpire. He doesn't talk much. He's, he usually has great game flow. That's what you want to hear. You don't want to hear, oh, he tossed this guy into third inning. He seemed very happy about it. Like, what? Right. <laughs> he got a joy. You should have seen the smirk on his face when he tossed John Farrell. Oh, like, what? Excuse me? No, it's completely wrong. But, um... Obviously, an issue around the league. Another issue is suspending people, because <laughs> this league has been suspending guys left and right for PEDs. Um, a new suspension, though. Uh, Braves Hector Oliveira, uh, Oliveira, Oliveira. Um, he was suspended 82 games, but not for drugs, for domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Um, not steroids, just, but probably worse. Yeah, I mean, because at least steroids. But probably, I mean, definitely he's screwing himself up with this. He's doing stuff to other people which is obviously not good. Yeah, it's, they seem to take a big stand on this one. I mean, it's a longer suspension than other domestic violence ones. You know, Chuck Chapman got 30 games. I think Reyes got 51 games. So now this is 82 games, so it's obviously a lot. And obviously there's multiple multiple policies that he's breaking, domestic violence policy, sexual assault policy, child abuse policy. And so, yeah, it's it's a shame. It's That's half a season. Clearly he didn't do something right, and... Got to get these bad guys out of the league. <laughs> yeah, you, you really do. It's not fun. But um, let's get to this week, Jess. Uh, obviously, big week for the Red Sox before we get out of here. Um, you have four against the Orioles in Baltimore, and then you play the Blue Jays again for three at home. No off days. Um, seven games. No off days. Seven games. A lot of baseball this week, and it's very important baseball, Jess. You're a game up in the American League East, uh, four game against the Orioles, so you could either be very high or very low after that four-game series going into Toronto. So, um what do you feel is going to happen with this Baltimore series with four games? It's, it's a lot of ground you could possibly make up um, in terms of getting building, padding this lead, or you could let the Orioles slip right back in the first place before come Friday. It's a big series. It's a road series. Um, Baltimore is a good home team. They're uh, 17-8 and eight at home, so they're about pretty much even with the Red Sox in terms of home record. Um, and, yeah, it's four games in the road is tough for any team. Especially a team like Baltimore, they've been with with how incredible the Red Sox have been playing this season. Baltimore's been sticking around, either ahead or right there with Boston this entire time. So I think it'll be a tough series. I'm calling for a split of the series because I feel like maybe the Red Sox have a slight edge in talent at the moment, especially with how well the offense is playing. But I think being at home gives a little advantage to the Orioles, so that's why I'm going with the split. 
Yeah, I, I'm going a little more negative, of course, um, with the losing three of four to the Orioles. Like you said, yes, they're so good at home. Their offense is good, too. It's not like yours is, the, yours is obviously the best, but their offense isn't anything to laugh about. Um, and their pitching has been doing pretty well. They've been holding up, and that's why they're right behind you. So, look, the Red Sox bullpen's an issue, um, and I think – with the way they've been going lately, um, I just don't think you have it in you. Um, I, I think you're going to lose three or four to this team, and, and you're going to fall out of first place. Obviously, it's a long season, but the Red Sox aren't trending in the right direction right now. Yeah, especially with the three uh, three losses this week, it's it's an easy time to think that they'll be ripe for a for a losing three out of four, which would be too bad. Uh, and then we have the Jays at, yep. back at home. I'm picking win two out of three. I picked them to sweep the Jays this weekend. Clearly, that didn't work out since they lost two out of three. That was that was way off. But um, yeah, I mean, at home against the Jays, I still don't think the Jays are that good of a team. Obviously, that game Saturday, yesterday could have gone any which way. Um, so I think they'll be angry about that and take two out of three after losing two out of three in Toronto this weekend. Yeah, and I can see why you'd say that, because those games were close, Jess. It wasn't like they got slaughtered by the Blue Jays. Um, Just tough losses for the team. Probably two of the tougher losses this year, if not the toughest. Um, So I can see why you'd want to say them bounce back, and they're good at home. But um, I just, the way this week's going, and if if they lose three out of four of the Orioles, they aren't going to be feeling pretty coming into that Toronto series. So um, I have them losing two of three going in to uh, play the Jays at home. Um, I just think it's going to be a tough series. I think the Jays are better than a lot of people giving them credit for. They're still decent um, with the rotation, and I think that their po- offense is going to get them through this. Um, they're going to go two and five this week, Jess. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a hard week to watch. It's going to be a hard week to be a fan. Um, some of the pink hats might go away, um, especially with NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs kind of going the way they are. Um, but hey, you know what? It's baseball, and you, you have those tough weeks, right? That's what I figured. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I hope that you're wrong. At four and three would. Definitely be a good week, especially with the four games with the Orioles. So I think I'm being even positive with that. Definitely could be under 500 a week, but huge week if they can play well and do even better. Five and two, six and one week. Whew, that'd be huge. Yeah, big test for the Red Sox weeks. There, uh, Red Sox this week. There you go. Jess has them going four and three. I have them going two and five. Lauren has them. Well, not doing anything. <laughs> Lauren's not here. Um, but there you go. That is the show for this week. And, of course, um, you can help support the show by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as um, rating and reviewing us. We'd love to know what you think, of course, and help you grow the show by doing so. Um, today's show was, of course, brought to you by Loot Crate and SeatGeek. Uh, once again, you get some great deals. And most importantly, you can help us with the broadcast so we can come here every week and do what we do and give you the news that we do. Go to LootCrate.com for those free offers now. Uh, obviously, Loot Crate's a good partner for us. Um, Obviously, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat, as well as on uh, Facebook, Red Sox Beat Podcast. We're posting new stuff. Follow our Blue Apron uh, ventures with us and Jess, of course, on social media. Um, we'll be coming social media fiends with Blue Apron. So, of course, keep an eye out for that as well. Um, big week this week, like we said. So, until now, well, hopefully full crew back next week. Uh, for Jess Thomas and myself, uh, this has been Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Radio.